0: Open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 2 for the Sunday school lesson this morning. Ephesians and chapter 2. <laughs> I'm looking at your clock up here. It says five minutes after four. I think you need a new battery. I, was, I don't know if I, I might have told you this. I was in a church, I guess it was last October, in um, Jennings, Louisiana. They had, they had a little hole about that big cut out of the pulpit right there in the top right corner. And a digital clock in that hole, that way the preacher could tell, you know, how long he's going in our church, the clock is over there, to look at the clock, preacher's got to do this, and if the preacher does that, you know what he's doing, and, uh, but anyway, that clock was missing, I've been there every year for 17, 18 years or more, a clock was missing last October, so I made a joke about it, I said, I can preach as long as I want. Well, the next service, I got up to preach, and in that hole was a watch, a wristwatch. Somebody had put a nice big wristwatch in that hole, so I made a joke about it. And uh, so one of the members, were, you know, was up to shenanigans, and, and uh, every night it was there until the last night. The last night, the watch was gone, and somebody had bought a new digital clock and put it in there. And so I made a joke about it. That night after the service, a man came to me and he handed me the watch. And he said, you've earned it, it's yours. I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Next time, leave your car keys up there. (laughs) I mean, if we're going to do it, let's do it right. (laughs) Well, it's a delight to be back again. And uh, I'm sure you're looking forward to the preacher getting back. I'm sure he's looking forward to getting back. That's a long drive down there. Ephesians chapter 2, have you found that? found it. Stop turning. Just look, Nobody will know. I want you to notice one verse, and we'll we'll just sort of use it. I make a comment about it, and we'll use it as a a, a a runway, if you please, a it off place. Look at verse number 18. And notice what it says. It says, "For through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father." Now, here's why I'm using that verse. Notice the language. For through him, who's that? And The context is Jesus Christ. If you if you read the previous verse, you'll find out that's who he's talking about. That says we both. Who is we both? In the context, talking about Jews and Gentiles both. There was a time when the only ones who had who had a personal access to God back in the Old Testament were the Jews, and um, and uh, but now since Jesus Christ uh, died the veil has been rent in twain from top to bottom, and now the Gentiles have access, equal access. So it says, through him we both have access. Now, if you're in the practice of marking your Bible, I suggest you underline or circle that word access. And you'll understand why in a minute. Uh, By his Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, unto the Father. Now, you'll notice that in this verse, when you pray, the entire Trinity gets involved. We go by the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, to the Father. If you take a note, you can write this verse down, Romans eight twenty six 26, tell, tells us how the Holy Spirit helps us when we pray. And, of course, Jesus said we're to pray to the Father, and uh, we go through Jesus Christ. He said nobody comes to the Father but by me. That's not only salvation, that's at any time. Nobody comes Every time you go to the Father, you're to go in Jesus' name. Uh, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about a lot of things soon. Um, and I've got 30 minutes to do it. But notice the word access. Uh, the word access is actually, uh, a in the New Testament, it comes from a French word that the French use, um, the word entree. Now, you and I, we understand the entree to be the main course of the meal. At least that's what I understand it as. <laughs> However, the French, when they say an entree, they mean an entrance. It means a formal introduction of peasantry to royalty. If that's the case, then the Bible tells us in that verse that when we pray, the Holy Spirit takes us. If we're praying in the Spirit, it takes us, and we go through Jesus Christ to the Father. And if you compare that with Romans 8, 26, you'll find out that the Holy Spirit teaches us what to pray for, and it gives us that introduction to the Father. And, of course, we get in through Jesus Christ. Now, that's a lot to swallow all in one time, but that's our takeoff uh, uh, for, uh, for this morning. I want to teach a lesson this morning on what I call seven powerful promises about prayer. I'm thoroughly convinced. That the most important department of your Christian life is your prayer life. I'm not minimizing or disparaging your Bible study time or your walk with the Lord or your uh, your witnessing activity. I'm not minimizing any of that. But I'm saying this: every failure in life is a prayer failure. I mean, when when you read the promises in the Bible, how God has promised to meet every need. That you have, and even some of your desires. That means if, if I can, if I pray right, I can get it through the prayer closet. That means that that, that every failure in life. Uh, if if I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a oh, by the way in this order I'm a wife. Uh, excuse me, I'm a husband. <laughs> boy, oh boy, I've been watching the news too much. I'm a husband. Uh, i'm a i'm a am uh, a father and i'm a papa but you know the truth of the matter is if i fail in any of those areas my failure won't be so much in the time i do or do not spend with uh, my family my failure be in the prayer closet i'm a preacher i i, I know you haven't figured that out yet uh the truth of the matter is, if I fail as a preacher, my failure won't be behind the pulpit. It won't even be in the study. My failure will be in the prayer closing. I just haven't prayed enough, or I haven't prayed right. Uh, and in every area of life, like a truck driver, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, in any area of life, if you fail, your failure will be in the prayer closing. For this reason, Jesus had asked and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open. He said, he said, Everyone that asks, receive. He said this in Matthew 7 11. 7 11, that's a story. He said this in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things to them that ask you? understand our conditions and promises to understand that. But I, what, what I'm saying is this foundationally, every failure in life is a prayer failure. Now there are, there are two ways for you to study uh, how to uh, how to get your prayers answered. I mean, it's one thing to just rush in and mumble a few sentences and rush out. But I'm talking about really pray and get your prayers answered. There are two ways you can study how to do that. One is study the Bible and uh, Study all of the prayers in the Bible that got an answer, and you pray the same way. If God answered their prayers for praying that way, then He has to answer yours too, or He's partial. And the Bible says God has no respect for a person. I wouldn't spend a lot of time. I wouldn't. I wouldn't spend a lot of time studying the prayers that did not get an answer. I'd, I'd spend my time studying the prayers that got an answer. The second way to do it is study, look up the promises in the Bible about prayer that apply to you. Now, I emphasize that last part because not all of the promises in the Bible about prayer are for every Christian. Keep them in the context and study the prayers in the uh, the prayers and the promises in the Bible that apply to you. Now, that's what we're we'll going to do this morning in the Sunday school for twenty five minutes. We're going to want to study some of the primary major promises in the Bible about prayer. Let me lay a foundation by uh, by getting this across first. The only two restrictions in the Bible on prayer. I used to think every promise and line them up and I'd call them restrictions. Those aren't restrictions, those are promises. There's a world of difference. Um, The only two restrictions on prayer in the Bible one is if you're not saved, you don't have one single promise in all of the Bible that God will answer any of your prayers. Uh, that's of course other than the prayer to be saved. I'm not saying he won't. God has a right God if God wants to answer the prayers of an unsaved person, he can. I know, I know what somebody's thinking. But the Bible say we know that God heareth not sinners. That's what it says. That's John chapter nine and verse thirty one. However, if you'll look that up and read the previous verses and the following verses, you'll find that the man who made that statement was not a saved man. It wasn't an apostle. It wasn't Jesus. It was a lost man. The Holy Spirit was just recording the conversation. And you cannot build a doctrine on what a lost man says. I know of one or two places where God, He's sovereign, He knew do what He wants. Uh, did step outside of his normal will, his normal uh, rule, to answer a prayer for a lost person. What about the guys on the boat with Jonah? You know the story? God told Jonah to go that way, and he said, mm mm. That's Hebrew. Mm mm. And it went this way. They ended up out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, fast asleep on the bottom of a boat that was marinered by a bunch of polytheists. They worshiped millions of gods. And a storm came. Uh, Lightning and thunder and wind and the waves were beating against the ship. And the ship was about to go under. It was breaking apart. They would already dumped all the cargo overboard. And when when they could do nothing else, they decided to pray. That's what we do sometimes, isn't it? Put God on, make God plan B when we've tried everything else. That's backwards. But the problem is they didn't pray to Jehovah God. They prayed to their polytheistic idol gods. But when their idol gods could, could not or would not answer, they then woke up Jonah. And they decided to pray to Jonah's God. And you know the story. God stilled the storm. They made it safe to land. But well, you know how, too. <laughs> That's a fish four and a half, isn't it? <laughs> uh, A true one. But the truth of the matter is, uh, God answered their preach. How do you know what they pray? Well, i ask you a question. Suppose you're on a boat out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and a storm comes. I mean, the sky's black, rain and thunder and lightning and the waves are beating up against the ship. The ship's filling up with water. The ship is breaking apart. You've already dumped all the cargo overboard. So you decide to pray. What are you going to pray for? That the Cardinals will win the next game? Pastor back home? No, I know what you pray for. And you know what you pray for. You pray for you pray for deliverance from the That's what they pray for. In the New Testament, Cornelius was a lost man. He prayed and God sent an angel to tell him where to get the answer. And the angel said to him, God has heard your prayer, and here's where you he get the answer. I'm saying on occasion God might step outside of his general rule and answer an isolated prayer. For a lost person, however, the restriction is if you're not saved, there is not one single promise in all of the Bible that God will answer any of your prayers. You have no claim on God. The reason is, sadly, you're not his child. Jesus said in John eight forty four to the unsaved religious crowd, you're your father, the devil. <laughs> they were a different family. That's the first restriction. The second restriction on prayer is made to the saved, and it's more restrictive than the first. In the the second restriction, God says to the saved, if you are saved, but you harbor sin in your heart. You're saved, but you harbor some hidden sin in your heart. And you refuse to deal with it, you refuse to get rid of it, you refuse to confess it. God said, save your breath not only will I not answer, I'm not even going to listen to what you have to say. Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shorten that it cannot save. Verse 1, neither, uh, neither is ear heavy, that it cannot hear. Verse 2, But your iniquities, your sins have hid his face from you, and your iniquities, have come between, I forget the exact wording, but this is basically what it says, uh, that he will not hear. I'm saying those are the only two restrictions on prayer. Everything else in the Bible about prayer is a promise. And God put so many of them in there. If you find one over here that doesn't apply to your needs, you keep looking. You'll find one that does. There's one in there for you somewhere. Now, I, I have written down before me seven. I don't know if we'll get through that many or not. Of the most common promises in the Bible about prayer. The first one is what I call the promise of authority. In John chapter 14, I think that's still in the New Testament. In John chapter 14, usually I have paper clips on these. So I don't know on that one. Uh, uh, listen to what Jesus said in verse 13. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, in my name, that what I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, the only only person who records uh, that promise, that if you pray in Jesus' name, he'll answer, is John. John is the one who writes about Jesus Christ being God incarnate, God in flesh. And uh, he certainly has a right to say, you pray in my name and I'll answer. Now, listen to me carefully. We always say at the end of our prayer, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. That, that's perfectly fine. But well, that doesn't mean you're praying in Jesus' name. Praying in Jesus' name is not just saying, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, in fact, to be real frank with you, you'll have a hard time. You will not find one single prayer in all of the Bible that ends, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. That's not wrong to say that. We say it, you know, probably more than anything else, to remind ourselves. But that doesn't mean you're praying in Jesus' name. To pray in Jesus' name, I can describe it with two words. One is the word authority, and the other is the word merit. Let me describe it this way. Let's suppose. Let's suppose that I write you a check for five hundred dollars. That made you smile, didn't (laughs) it? Don't get your hopes up. Uh, Do you know a check isn't worth anything? A check is not money. You got to spend a check. I mean, there's a process that you go. A check is not money. All a check is, is it's an authorization. You take that check to the bank and you you slide it across to the teller that has the amount, has your name in the pay to, and as my name in as the person who wrote the check, my signature. When you slide that piece of paper to the teller, you are telling the teller, on the authority of the name of Andrew Tully, I demand $500 out of his account. That's what it is. And the fact that I have signed it, Uh, you're you're demanding that they give you something that I have authorized. And I have a right to authorize it as my account by the signing of my own name. That's what praying in Jesus' name is. When you pray for something that Jesus in the Bible has ordered you to pray for, and he's authorized it by the signing of his own name, you're praying in Jesus' name. For instance, does Jesus want you to pray for lost people? Did Jesus teach us to pray for the unsaved? Well, sure he did. He prayed for them. Uh, So when we go to to the Father with the name of a lost loved one or a friend, we 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 are coming in Jesus' name. Whether you say, in Jesus' name I pray or not. And I'm I'm not trying to talk out of saying that. That's a good thing to say. That's a good reminder. But it has to do with authority. You're praying on the authority of Jesus Christ. But it also has to do with merit. When you pray in Jesus' name, it means that you're coming to the Father realizing you have no merit of your own. There's nothing within you that deserves an audience with God, let alone a request fulfilled from God. You have, you have nothing in you that deserves it. Well, if we got what we deserve. We'd all be in gasoline. Well, we'd all be wearing gasoline breeches in hell. But nothing. Uh, so we go in Jesus' name, Father. I'm here because I'm in Your Son, and He's in me. I'm coming on His merits, not mine. God knows that, but it's not, it doesn't, doesn't, do you, doesn't do you any harm to say it once in a while. But pray in Jesus' name has to do with authority and merit. It's not just tagging a phrase. You won't find one prayer in the Bible. You'll only find one or two that even end with amen. We say amen so people know it's time to lift your head and open your eyes now. Uh, but you won't find one in there that ends with a phrase in Jesus' name, I pray amen. Praying in Jesus' name is not repeating a phrase. It's praying on the authority of Jesus Christ and on His merit. And certainly, since He's God the Son, He has the authority and He merits. You go on His merit and you'll get an ear. And when you pray, remember that. The second promise we'll quickly discuss is the promise that I call the will of God. The promise of the will of God. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, the Bible says this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Now notice, anything sounds like a blank check, but according to His will narrows it down. If you, can, if you are convinced that what you're asking for, maybe you have even a Bible verse for it, is the will of God for you that have all the boldness in the world when you ask. But keep in mind, that verse doesn't say you're going to get it because it's the will of God. It says God will listen. This is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Uh, but, truth is, if you can't get his ear, you can't get him to listen, you sure won't get an answer. <laughs> so that's am pretty good promise. Now the next verse expands it, makes it a little more sure. The next verse says, if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. So ask yourself, am I praying according to the will of God? Not only am I in the will of God, but uh, what I'm asking for, is this something God wants me to have? Hey, if you're not sure, then you would be wise to pray like Jesus did in Gethsemane. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But God promises if you ask for something, that's His will. Uh, I've just got to kind of sneak this in. It won't take but about 30 seconds. Uh, Rachel, how do I... Determine the difference between something I want, a whim or a fancy of my own, and something God wants me to have. How do I know if it's my fancy or God's design? Well, there are two tests you give yourself. What is the time test? The time test is this. Whim or a fancy of your own will pass with time. I mean, uh, you're, uh, you're human, aren't you? Are you human? I have figured it out yet. <laughs> okay. You know what that means? It means you're fickle. It means you change. We, we change every day. We all have cycles. We all have moods. We change. However, God never changes. If, if your whim or fancy passes with time... It's your fancy, it's not the will of God. However, a burden from God intensifies with time. A burden from God will not leave you alone until you respond to it. That's a difference. time time test. There's another test you can give, and that's a knowledge test. The knowledge test is, ask yourself, does this thing that I'm asking for Does it contradict any principle in the Bible in any way? If it does, it's not of God. You mark it down. So that's the way you tell. But the Bible says if you ask according to His will, you'll get it here. My daughter, when she was growing up, she climbed over Daddy's lap. And boy, some things, you know, some things... If she asked for something that that I wanted her to have, she got my attention right away. If she asked for something I didn't want to have, she might have a difficult time getting my attention. What what, what, what makes you think God is any different? Why are we fathers like that? Maybe it's because the first father is like that. So ask yourself, the thing I'm asking is it the will of God. All right, here's another promise. How about the promise of faith? Faith. That's the most oft repeated promise in all of the Bible about prayer is the promise of faith. Jesus explained it in Mark 11, 24. He said, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Now, wait a minute. Wait, not talking about your, your whim or fancy, but what a lot of desire God puts there. You know, in Psalm 37, 4 says, Commit thy way unto the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean He'll give you what your heart desires. That means if your way is committed to Him, your life is committed to Him, He'll put the right desires in your heart. He'll give you the desire. Now, Jesus said, What things soever you desire? Any desire God puts in your heart. When you pray, He said, Believe that you receive, and you'll have it. Now, let me just just illustrate it this way. And then we've got to move on. Praying believingly is not saying, "Dear God, I believe You can." That's not faith. That's acknowledging uh, an unknown proven fact. God is omnipotent. They can do anything. Praying in faith is having the faith to believe that God is going to and praying, Lord, I believe you're going to. The prayer of faith does not say, I preached on this one time here before. Of course, you're were sleeping, then, if I remember correctly. <laughs> uh, what well, if it was after lunch? You might have been. <laughs> um, praying the prayer of faith isn't praying, Lord, I believe you can. Is praying, Lord, I believe you will. That's what he said in that verse, Mark 11 24. Believe that you receive. And you shall have it. If God gives you the faith to believe you're going to get it, then you have a right to claim that promise. Just keep in mind. Praying the prayer of faith doesn't say God can, it says God will. Goes beyond God can. Let's move on to the next promise. How about the pro I call this one the promise of agreement? In Matthew eighteen, nineteen. That's in the New Testament. You shouldn't have a hard time finding it. Either. Here's what Jesus said. Again, I say unto you. He often had to say that because he repeated himself a lot because the disciples weren't listening and learning. So he said, again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth, that's where we are, in case you haven't figured it out, as touching anything, that they shall ask, it shall be done of my Father which is in heaven. Now, wait a minute. Jesus did not say, don't misquote it. He did not say, if two of you shall agree on anything. That's what he said. Or agree about anything. That's what he said. He said, if you'll agree as touching anything, that's what you will and I'll give it. What's the difference? All right, let's suppose that this brother, that one right there dressed in a nice looking suit. You lost all of the weight, haven't you? Give me your secret after church. Uh, I know, I know what it is, starved to death. <laughs> um, let's suppose that, that, uh, that, I, that, I ha- that he has a burden for something. And he comes to me and he shares his burden with me and asks me if I'll also pray about it. So we agree and we pray. That is not praying, uh, agreeing as touching, that's agreeing on. However, if God lays on my heart a burden, and without any communication with Him on my part, God lays on His heart the same burden. And then somehow, through fellowship, we find out we're both praying for the same thing. We both have the same burden that God laid on our hearts individually. That's agreeing as touching. Then we can claim that promise. You have the burden, and I didn't give it to you, and I've got the burden, and you didn't give it to me. God gave it to you, and God gave it to me. We found one another. We both got the same burden. We're both touching. You see the difference? Now, Jesus made a promise. You find somebody who's got the same burden that you didn't put there. You fellowship with folks often enough, you'll find people who have the same burden you have. Then you can claim that promise. Let's go on to another promise. We'll have a few minutes left. How about the promise of oh my, let's say I got three. How about the promise of perseverance? You pray long enough, but you you keep begging God for something, eventually you'll get it. Now, if you're going to do that, make sure it's something God wants you to have. Because you can pray the wrong prayer and get an answer. Israel did that when they prayed for a king. God said they don't need one. They got me. Their problem was they knew God was enough. Correction: They knew God was necessary, but they didn't know He was enough. They wanted a king. It wasn't the will of God for them to have a king, not yet. But so because they wouldn't shut up about it, God said, "Okay, I'll answer." And He gave them a whopper. Took more than two hands to handle. Saul. A socialist, hardcore socialist. But he answered their prayer. Uh, you can look at the scripture later, but in Luke 18 1 through 8, Jesus taught a parable to teach us to always pray and never quit. Just keep on. You know, hey, listen to me carefully. You do not pray through to get saved. God is more eager to save you than you are to be saved. After you're saved, there are some things you've got to ask God continually for. Now, not because it changes God's mind, but it gets you ready. God, you know, some people say, "Well, God says yes and God says no," and I think sometimes God says, "You got to be kidding." Well, the truth of the matter is, sometimes God says, "Keep on asking, but wait." Trust him. He's he, he knows what tomorrow holds. You don't. He knows he knows your your he knows your condition now and he he'll know he knows what your situation will be tomorrow. You don't yet. So trust his guidance and his word about it. But the truth is, at the end of that passage, um when he he gives that entire Luke 18, to eight, that entire parable He gives to show us where to continue praying and keep bugging and bugging and bugging and and praying and begging until you get it. Eventually you'll get it. At the end of that, you know what he says? He says, that's what faith is. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, he says, well, he finds that kind of faith on the earth. Faith doesn't just pray once and then say, I'll just trust the Lord and never ask again. Faith says, I'm going to keep on asking what do you think it is that causes you to keep on? The faith that believes that if you do, He will. So there's the promise of faith. There's another one, very quickly. How about, uh, how about uh, let's close with this one. How about John 15, 16? The Bible says, I've got to read it so I don't misquote it. I want to get this one right. The Gospel according to St. John, chapter 15. And this is in the abiding chapter, the fruit-bearing chapter. Verse number 16. Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Now, wait a minute. Quick question. What's the fruit of an apple tree? Apples, yeah. We have some horticulturists in the crowd. What's the fruit of a coconut tree? Don't say preachers. Goodness, right? What's the fruit of another Christian? What's the fruit of a Christian? I told you, tonight, another Christian. Uh, the fruit of a couple is another being just like them. And the fruit of, uh, the, the Bible says that the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he that when it sold, his Now wait a minute. Jesus said in John 15, 16, uh, He said, uh, you haven't chosen me, but I've chosen you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Win people of Christ. Why? The rest of the verse answers why. So that whatsoever you ask in my name, I will give you. One of the best ways to get your prayers answered is you busy yourself about doing his business. Witnessing. Trying to win others to Jesus Christ. You mark it down. Soul winners get more prayers answered accidentally, if there is such a thing, than lazy backsliders get on purpose. I mean, let's face it. Isn't that the program of God? Isn't that what pleases Him? Isn't that the only thing that causes heaven to rejoice? The sinners get saved? Isn't our... Didn't Jesus say, as the Father sent me? he's Send him to seek and save the lost. I'm sending you. we to seek we try to win people to Jesus Christ. We witness to them. I know God knows the same. I understand that. But he uses us. And Jesus said if you'll do that, then you mark it down. You mark it down. I, I had a guy what this was years ago. A, a preacher for whom I was working. My daddy was unsaved at the time. He got saved before he died, but he, he was unsaved at the time. And he, um, Brother Seaton, Dick Seaton was named, uh, knew that I was praying, knew I had a burden for my daddy. He knew that I had witnessed to my daddy hundreds of times. And um, we were driving down the road one day, and he said, Tully, you want your daddy saved, don't you? I said, more than anything else in the world. He said, Tell your get him saved. I said, please do. But there's a secret I want to know. It. He said, you busy yourself every day trying to win other people to Jesus Christ. He said, every time you win somebody else to Christ, a man, a woman, or a child makes no difference, get on your knees that night and say, Dear God, I won somebody else's daddy to you today. Send somebody to win mine. My daddy lived three or 4,000 miles away. I began to do that. Little did I know that God would send my daddy the last six, seven years of his life to live in our home. And I'd get to lead him over the phone to the Lord from 400 miles away. What I'm saying is you busy yourself, busy yourself in the work of God, and he's much more likely to hear and answer your prayers. Heavenly Father, for your blessing on this lesson today, help us to take what we've discussed and apply it. Bless the service to follow in Jesus' name, amen.